This morning, our scripture comes from Luke 10, 25-37. And like Mr. Charlie said, this is a parable that is fairly popular. Most of us have heard this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I challenge you all this morning, don't let your mind skip ahead. Okay? Suspend your context, your understanding of it, and and read it like it's the first time you've ever read it before. Because I think if we can do that, if we can read it with fresh eyes and a fresh mind, then the understanding that it can give to us about the nature of what Jesus desires for us can be even deeper. So try your best, okay? Luke 10, 25-37 says this. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed to the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, And took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Church, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I was born in the year 1996. I know. Don't fall out of the pew. Um, In Cincinnati, Ohio, at Good Samaritan Hospital. My little brother and little sister also were born at Good Samaritan Hospital. And so as I grew up in the church and uh, heard this story, which I'm sure was at some VBS or something, some kind of children's program, um, this didn't really shock me. 
that this man, this good Samaritan, stopped because the first man, he was a priest. He walked by. Then a Levite. Wasn't sure what a Levite was, but uh, okay. And then he walked by, and then the Samaritan stopped. Well, of course he stopped. He worked at a hospital. My understanding of what a Samaritan was, was was colored by what I had lived and understood through my life. Context matters, especially with something like this, this parable. This is a story that Jesus is sharing to an audience that would have understood exactly the, the examples he's using. But we're reading it 2,000 years later. And just like how I could probably say something like, um, what's a good saying that my family in Bell County would say? Well, it's hotter in Hades outside. If you fast forwarded 2,000 years, they probably wouldn't understand what was being said there. They probably wouldn't understand that. Uh, It's natural. Language changes and shifts. So, it's important for us to understand and to get back to the original context. Uh, And I'll quote my professor, uh, Dr. Craig Keener. He said that if you read a parable and think that you are doing everything to the letter of the law and that you're doing things exactly right, then you probably are grossly uh, misreading it. And so let's read this parable. Let's, Let's get some backstory and let's read this together, shall we? Jesus in this section of Scripture, is teaching his followers that he had sent out, uh, known as the sending out of the 70. And I have some family members that said, 70? I thought there were only 12. Well, there are more people around um, that Jesus sends out, and Jesus sent them to do ministry in all these different towns across Israel. So it's kind of like a a check-in slash family reunion type of thing. Everyone's coming back to Jesus. It's an actual come-to-Jesus moment. And so everyone's coming back, and uh, they're telling, and Jesus is giving them tips and and telling them things that they need to uh, know. He's teaching them. He's a teacher. He's a rabbi at the heart of everything. And it says that just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. And I think we we slander lawyers enough. So I'm going to say a man of the law. I don't want any to, to perpetuate any lawyer hate from the pulpit. That's not on my watch. So a man of the law, let's call him that. Someone who knew the Old Testament very well, that was well-read, well-learned, okay? He stands up and he tests Jesus. He, he stands right up and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And from our understanding of how class goes and how teaching goes, we, we think of it as like the teacher is up at the chalkboard, Jesus is teaching his, his students and everything, and then we have someone bust in through the door and say, I'm going to challenge you with your learning and your teaching to try to see how smart you are. It wasn't actually like this. This was a very common practice. If you were a third-party member um, that was listening to a rabbi, oftentimes you would ask them a question to try to see how much they know. Kind of test their mettle a little bit. And so this man of the law asked him, Jesus, how will I inherit eternal life? And Jesus, that Jesus, he throws it back at him. He says, well... How do you read it? How do you understand the law? You tell me what you know before I tell you what I know. Let me test you as well. And so the man says, <laughs> pretty good answer. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And 
your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that's pretty good. And Jesus says as much. He says that is the correct answer. Go and do this and you shall live. He is quoting what Jesus says are the greatest two commandments. Verbatim, back to Jesus. And Jesus says, exactly right. Go and do that. And you will have eternal life. But, I'm not satisfied with just saying that I did good. And I would never accuse any of you all of doing this, but there's some students that eh, they want to kind of one-up their teacher a little bit more. They want to leave saying, oh, I, I don't like not stumping my teacher. Lisa's nodding in the back, so. <laughs> and if Donovan was here, I bet he would be nodding too. Sometimes it's like, oh, I want to get the last word in. And, the, and Scripture says, wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, well, okay, you say to, to do this and live. Well, who is my neighbor? It's a good question. Albeit, probably the intent is a little off. This man probably knew what it meant in the law to say neighbor. Neighbor in Hebrew referred almost exclusively to a very localized understanding of it. We, of course, in the understanding of loving our neighbor, we have expanded it out. But for them, in the original context, the original way that the law would have, have dictated, it would have been a fellow Israelite, okay, fellow Israelite who, was, uh, who worshipped the same God as them, that was probably from the same area as them. So we're, we're talking Israelite uh, within the same kind of context of life, okay? That was a neighbor. And that's what the law said a neighbor was. And so this man was asking Jesus a qualifying question, and that is where we get this whole parable. This whole parable is a, is a response to the question, who is my neighbor? So Jesus begins. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is important. Kind of a nerdy little tidbit, but I enjoy it. Whenever people are going to Jerusalem, it's going up to Jerusalem. And whenever someone was leaving Jerusalem, they were going down from Jerusalem. This will be important later, so don't forget that, okay? So, going up, going to, going down, leaving from, okay? So a man is leaving, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Again, this is not anything out of the ordinary. This is not something crazy to think, oh, I can't believe there was robbers. On the rocky cliff faces and everything, there are probably plenty of opportunities for someone to see a lone traveler and make their move. And so that's what happens to our poor Israelite man that Jesus is talking about. He falls into the hands of robbers, and the word, the term, just to make sure that everyone understands how serious this is, Jesus uses the term, he says that um, when, when the robbers and everyone left, that they left him half dead. This was a battlefield terminology. Not usually something you would call common you know, thievery like this. This was something that when you were on the battlefield, people were left half dead. They were stripped of their possessions. They were left in a place where if they did not get 
serious medical attention soon, they were probably a goner. And so Jesus is setting the stakes up. What a wonderful storyteller. I wish I was there. I wish I could have heard how he spoke. But he's setting up the stakes. He's saying this man has gotten robbed. He is barely hanging on. He is on death's door. He has nothing to his name. Now let's see what happens. And so he introduces, thank goodness, a priest. Praise be to God. Thank goodness that this priest has now been introduced. And the priest was going down the road, like we know from earlier. Going up, going to Jerusalem. This priest, uh, was pro- it says he was going down, which means that he was leaving the temple. He was leaving his priestly duties. If he was going up, he would have to worry about things like ritual purity. He would make sure that he didn't uh, encounter any dead bodies, any corpses or anything like that, anyone that was sick, any kind of animals that may be unclean. He had to really worry about keeping a distance from anything that could affect him doing his job once he got to the temple because they were very, very strict. These laws, these purity laws, read Leviticus. Some of them are quite ridiculous, but they had to keep to it because that's how they worship God in that way. So if he was going up, That would be one thing. But he wasn't. He was going down. He was leaving. He was, what we can probably assume, he was done. Off the clock, punch the card in. He's done. He's off, he's off, off the timesheet. And so he's walking down, uh, and, and he doesn't have to worry about ritual purity, and he doesn't have to worry about who he interacts with, but he sees him. He sees our, our friend, our man who got robbed. This is, what, this is what really stings me too. It specifically says, now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed to the other side of the road. At the moment that he saw him, he decided, mm, not today. Mm. That stings to read. But maybe I'm being too hard on him. Maybe he was so wrapped up in thought uh, about how, uh, how many righteous things he would do and how much good he was going to do when, once he got back home to the village. He, he, was, he was wrapped up in that kind of thought. And so he sees this man and says, oh, I can't be distracted by all the good that I'm going to be doing later, so I'm not going to stop and do good now. Let's, let's assume so. But we have another person, another neighbor, Good. A Levite, it says, then is coming down from the temple. Okay, so the first neighbor maybe was too busy. We'll give him some slack. He's a priest. Pastors are busy. Levite is walking down. And likewise, it says that when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. That counts two times that the traditional understanding of a neighbor had failed. The neighbor that you were supposed to be loving yourself like, twice they have walked by and have not batted a single eye at our injured person. If I have any baseball fans or softball fans, an 0-2 count is not good. 
It is not going the batter's way. And it's at this moment that Jesus introduces the curveball. Not like Art Warren, Reds fan. Let me just, anyway, sorry. (laughs) That was an aside. Jesus introduces our last character, a Samaritan. Samaritan was not a slur. But for a Jew, it was probably pretty close. This was a group of people that did not have a lot of love lost between them and the Israelites. So you have the Samaritans and you have the Israelites. They did not like each other. And if you don't understand what what the difference is between, I'll give you a quick little scoop. A Samaritan was someone who, when a lot of Israel got exiled, they were the ones that stayed. And you know what their great sin was? They married someone who was not Jewish. And so from that point on, they were other, they were different, they were unpure, and they were not worth your time. Let me, let me explain it this way as well, to just show the animosity a little bit more. If this was Galilee, okay, and the cross was Jerusalem, and this whole thing was Samaria right here, this little area, and you wanted to go from Galilee to Jerusalem, you know what you would do if you were a good Jew? If you were a good Israelite, you would travel into the wilderness, sacrifice health and wealth just so that you didn't absolutely set one foot in Samaria. That's how much they didn't like each other. This is not just some, oh, well, cards or go cats, you know. This is a deep-seated distaste. They are different. They are other. They do not belong around you. Hi, baby. And so, if the two neighbors didn't do good, then this was the pearl-clutching moment for the audience of Jesus. Because guess what? If the neighbors weren't going to do good, then evil was going to happen at the hands of the other. And so with bated breath, I'm sure that the the audience of Jesus was saying, what's going to happen now? What evil is he going to do? He's a Samaritan. He doesn't have good in his heart. What is he going to do um, to this, this vulnerable, injured, and almost dead oppressor of his? And Jesus says what he does. He sees him, he looks at him, he views the situation, he doesn't turn away, he doesn't try to not see it, he looks at him and it says his heart was moved to pity. That's a lot more than could be said for the priest and the Levite. He looked at the situation, he allowed himself to see hurt, he allowed himself to see uh, pain and suffering, but he did not turn away. He did not say that he was going to cross the road. He did not leave it for the person behind him. He decided, I will act. Boy, I'm sure the audience that Jesus was talking about didn't expect that one. And so it says that he, he wound up his wounds and covered the, the, the wounds with um, oil and wine, a way of disinfecting at the time. Kind of like if we put like some 
hydrogen peroxide and wrapped a big, big old Band-Aid on it, stabilized him, made sure he was good, okay? But it didn't stop there. Could have. If it was up to me, I would have been like, all right, we got the Band-Aid on, all right. Run along, rub some dirt in it. That's what my mom would say. Rub some dirt in it. Mama, if you're watching, I'm just kidding. It's just a thing. <laughs> he didn't stop there. His mercy continued. His pity, his feeling of love continued on. And so what did he do? He didn't just patch him up and make sure he wasn't going to die. He threw him on the back of his animal. He took the subservient role. He put this stranger on the back of his donkey or mule or whatever he would have had and was leading the donkey through the rest of the wilderness until he got to an inn. And then he stayed at the inn. He didn't just drop him off at the foot of the inn and say, all right, pay for it. Got you here. He took him in and he's, he's, uh, the Bible says that he took care of him. And then the next day, his mercy doesn't stop. He takes out two denarii, two silver coins, as my family would say, a pretty decent chunk of change, okay? He takes out two denarii coins and he tells the innkeeper, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. So not only is he paying for him at the time, he's saying, here's a blank check, sir. That's a dangerous thing to give to an innkeeper. Because guess what? He's not just saying, I'm going to make sure that he's good two denarii worth. I'm going to make sure he's really good. He's getting the good, the good uh, meat tonight. I'm bringing out the fresh wine, the good wine. I'm making sure this, this man survives. But the Samaritan says, I don't care what it costs. I don't care how much it, it takes. You make sure this man Make sure he's okay. Make sure you take care of him. This mercy was so unexpected from him, and it went so much further. Oh, I'm sorry. It went so much further than his audience would have thought. Even possible. And so Jesus closes this entire thing, this entire story. He says, all right, you have the story. Which of these was a neighbor? And the man of the law had to sit and say, the Samaritan. The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Here's your example. And when I, when I was preparing this parable, I'll be honest, I wasn't seeing myself in the, uh, in the role of the Good Samaritan. I had to look in the mirror quite a bit this week when I was reading this passage because I saw myself in another character. Last, uh, last week when we were going to uh, family, we were going to see some family for 4th of July, uh, Haley, Darcy, and I were driving in the car, and I remember looking over to her and saying, Honey, I'm really nervous. I'm really nervous because my role is changing, and I'm scared that I'm not going to be able to give people what they need. I've worked with the youth, I've worked with the kids, I can plan a fun game. But there are people that I don't know, and they have hurt that I've never 
even experienced before. I don't know if I have the right things to say. I don't know if I am going to do the right things. And you know what she looked at me? I'll never forget her saying this. I'll probably take this for the rest of my life. She said, honey, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about what God puts on your heart. It's about what we as a church say, this is what we're going to do better than anyone else. This is, this is uh, not just for Pastor Kathleen and Tom and I and Pastor Phil. I was talking this week and I said, you know what I want for this church? That's a dangerous thing for me to say. Ooh, what do I want for this church? Ooh. I said, I want us to love better than every other church in this area. I want us to be good at that because we're not going to out fancy some places or out children's program or out youth program or out music. But boy, howdy, I know we could out love because I've seen it before. I have. And so in closing, church, brothers and sisters, what Jesus tells us is not something that we should do ever once in a while. But as we are going through life, we are going to see hurt. And I would warn you, as I had to be warned this week, it's very easy to turn another eye, to turn to the other side of the road, to look away from what hurts us. It's very easy to be fearful and therefore act in inaction. We don't have to do it alone, folks. That's the truth of the matter. We've got the Spirit with us. That's why God sent our, the Holy Spirit for us. Our sustainer is the Holy Spirit. So, if you see pain, if you see people struggling, if you see people that are in situations that you're like, I don't know what I can do to help them. Let the Spirit take control and sit with them. Let the Spirit take control and buy a meal. Share a meal with someone. Sit with someone who's grieving. And we have people that are grieving. And so, I pray for us that we are able to find our identity in love. That's important to me. And I think it was important to Jesus too. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this morning and the opportunity to be able to speak your word to your people. God, I'm humbled by this opportunity. And I hope that you continue to work in this church. God, you don't call us to be your hands and feet for only the select few. You call us to be your hands and feet to all. So God, I pray that you remind us that it is through our love that we have identity. Let us not um, fall into what the world thinks we do. Let us not fall into hypocrisy or hatefulness or judgment. But God, 
Let us be the first to love and the last to leave. Let us trust in You so much that we don't even have to ask if You're going to get us through it because we already know. Let this church, let this church identity be in love. Even when we're uncertain, even when we're fearful, even when we are not sure. Lord, let us be sure in one thing and one thing only, and that's that you love us and that you're going to get us through it. It's in your son's name, your, his precious name. The one who died for us because he saw us on the road. He saw us at the hands of the robber. And he didn't just heal us. He took our place. It's in that name that we present all this. Amen.